There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before we get into this episode of The Doctor Next Door, I just wanted to let you know that we cover themes on suicide and struggles with mental health. Hello, I'm Dave Berry and I am fascinated by my next door neighbour. His name is Neil Srinivasan and he is a leading cardiologist. During our time as friends, I've become more and more curious about his work and I've often been left with more questions about the medical profession than I've had answers. In The Doctor Next Door, I'll be asking Neil the burning questions that keep me up at night, dissecting medical myths under his watchful eye and doing my utmost to learn more about an industry that is quite literally a matter of life and death. But this podcast isn't just here to feed my own curiosity. Oh, no, I want you to be involved in these conversations as well. Let Neil be your doctor next door. Send me any questions or stories right now. Oh, hang on a second. That'll be the doctor next door. Hey, Neil. Hi, David. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. You bought a friend. A plus one this time. I I brought my friend, Dr. Alex. (laughs) Can I I join? Yes, of course. Come on in. Welcome to author podcast host and UK's youth mental health ambassador, Dr. Alex George. Alex, great having you here. Thank you. Thank you. And a lovely front door you've got. It's got quite a nice knock to it, you know. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, very lovely. Thank, Thank you for having me. You've never complimented my front door before. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. It's normally kicked through. <laughs> Where's the beer? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what I'd like to know, first of all, is when two medical professionals get together, like you guys have right now, and you've, you've never met before... Normally, traditionally, how long is it before the conversation turns to, you know, talking shop or body, I suppose, yeah, in, in your case? It's true. I think when you put a couple of medics together, it's just like, and as hard as you might try, yeah. it inevitably goes back to, to talking. But I guess you live and breathe. I think it's slightly different for me now. I left um, A&E in June to kind of focus on this work. But, you know, it, you live and breathe medicine, don't mm-hmm. you? You know, and that's, that's, that's such a big part of our lives. You just naturally end up talking about it, I think. Yeah. And Do you agree with that, Neil? I think so, yeah. I mean, even if it's not necessarily shop talk, it's sometimes work gossip talk if you're out with the pubs with your friend or something like that. Yeah. And the other thing is, I think there is a sort of joint empathy. Yeah. You both know what we've been through. Yeah. We both know what yeah. the training involves. We know the, the sweat. Involves. We exactly. know the sweating that's happened. And so you tend to, even if you're just talking about cricket or something, yeah. Yeah. you tend to have this mutual empathy and a, a way of communicating, I think, which yeah. is slightly different yeah. than we might communicate ourselves yeah. when we're together, David. It's, yeah. it's, just you know, Alex, that is Neil's 5,000th attempt on this podcast to get me to talk about cricket, and he fails <laughs> every single time because I haven't got a clue. Um, 
This is something that I spoke to Dr. Neil about early on in the podcast. And I wondered, Dr. Alex, have you ever been on an aeroplane and someone Call says, me Alex as well. Alex. We're in your front room now. We can, we can okay. do it. So, Alex, have you ever been on an aeroplane and had someone say, like, is there a doctor on board? Oh, or I don't have know. Those situations? Thank the law that there was, like, a consultant on there. So you always hope, like, you know, I'm a junior doctor. Neil is a consultant. I mean, you really hope that there is a consultant that stands up and deals. Otherwise, you're like, oh, gosh, I'm going to have to do this. But actually, funny enough, I was on the way back from, uh, well, I was in Wales for the Jubilee weekend to my family. And I, for some reason, every time I'm in a car, something happens around me, and there was like a proper head-on collision in oh, the road, and it was, they were fine, but it was a big old smash, and I was like, why does it always happen like in front of me? So obviously pulled over and you know, checked they were okay. They're all, they're all fine, thankfully, but I, I swear, I'd, it just follows you around, doesn't it? But it is the worst nightmare. I mean, especially, I think probably the worst nightmare I'd have would be like on a plane if someone was giving birth, because that's just oh, like yeah. going to labor on a plane, that's just not what you need, is it? Be scary, right? Be it's scary. very far away from the heart as well. Yeah. <laughs> the, the cabin crew trying to get that little trolley down with like, the hot oh, towels in no, it. No, like, you don't, you don't oh, need no. that. Um, I was, uh, just to change the, the subject slightly, and one of the big parts of this podcast was to kind of get to know the other side of the medical profession and the people that so brilliantly work within it. Um, I was joined on my radio show um, by Serge, who is the, the front man of a band called Gasabian, and he confessed that he was always hogging any kind of sound system at a house party. So Alex, I wanted to know, you know, what are you like? If you've got a gathering of friends around, are you the kind of person who makes them hush down so they can listen to a lyric that's particularly important to you or do you just let them get on with it? Can I they put on any playlist they like? What I, I'm not, I don't, I, I'm like, do you know what, listen to what you want to listen to. I'm very, I'm very happy. I, to be fair, usually when I get friends around, I like a good vinyl player. So I've got a oh. vinyl, I like put a few vinyls on, but it depends what you do. If you're having a party, you've got different music. Only if I'm chilling, I usually put on like classical music and stuff. But, um, okay. but yeah, I'm, I'm just like, play what you like. Okay, that's so much heavy metal. I'm not heavy metal, though. That's the only boundary. Okay, so there's no slip knot in Alex's house. There's no slip knot allowed. No, absolutely not. There's a radio DJ. I guess you you like to be in control, do you? Oh, I'm just the worst music bore. I'm even worse with uh, film. And my wife hates it. She'll just sit there and I'll be like, I'll rewind bits so that she can watch the subtlety in which someone's delivered a line. Oh my gosh, yeah, that would drive me insane. (laughs) That would. (laughs) All right, right, that's it. I I can see actually you're the nightmare neighbour, I think, actually. Yeah, we'll change it. (laughs) I am the nightmare neighbour. Now, doctors. Like I'm hosting a medical conference, which I am not qualified to do. Uh, we had originally planned to have Alex on the podcast for Mental Health Awareness Week back in May. Uh, we had to delay because Neil, unfortunately, you got COVID, and instead of trying to cobble this together on Zoom or conferencing software, we thought it was better to have a conversation, you know, in person and around the table. Right? Yeah, much better now. I'm very tired yeah. for a while. Yeah, I think a lot of people said that kind of post-COVID, isn't it? Really knackered and things allowed. And obviously, long COVID, some people, sadly, as well. Yeah, yeah 100%. Um, and, you know, and luckily, Neil has recovered, and that's why we're, we're kind of here to talk. Plus, of course, whilst Mental Health Awareness Week is so important, it's also important to talk about mental health all year round. And this year, Mental Health Awareness Week had a particular focus on the topic of loneliness, which we're going to discuss a little later in the podcast. But first, Alex, in 2021, you became the government's Youth Mental Health Ambassador, and you're also a member of the Mental Health in Education Action Group. Can you tell us uh, what led to you becoming such a strong advocate for improving the country's mental health services? Well, it's, quite, it's a story I think goes back quite a long way. So, I, I mean, I, when I was uh, at university, I kind of had my own time at med school. I, I think it was, it was 
fourth year of med school, where I actually really quite struggled myself. I've always been quite, I think generally quite a happy person, quite positive, but I got into a real rut. Um, I trained in Peninsula, which doesn't exist anymore, it's extra in Plymouth. But part of the irritations, you go to different hospitals. Uh, I ended up down in Truro for a while. It's a beautiful part of the world, but nowhere near my family or friends basically became quite isolated and lonely, which I guess we might talk about in a little bit. And I really span into, you know, being quite depressed, I think. You know, I didn't want to study anymore, wasn't going out and exercise, wasn't walking, wasn't seeing my friends, sleep routine was terrible, eating badly, not exercising. And I got myself in such a rut. Uh, but I didn't want to speak to med school because I thought, oh, they, if I tell them, they're not going to let me qualify. So you, you can't be a doctor, you can't even look after yourself. And that's the real stigma. And that wasn't that long ago. You know, I, I was there, that's, we're talking 2014 at this time, fourth year. Um, not long ago. I had real worry about that. So I didn't say anything. And surprise, surprise, as you ignore problems, they get worse. To the point where I actually was like, I can't carry on like this. This is really miserable. So I called my mum. <laughs> and as mums are often the best source of advice, I think. Uh, and she, she's not medical at all. And she turned around and said, but Alex, if you look at your own life, are you doing anything that's kind of conducive with feeling happy? And I was like, she's right. I mean, like, if you think about it, all I'm doing, how can any of the things I do each day lead to feeling better? They're all negative things in my life, basically. So we started doing thought of the day. So we talked through any negative feelings I had in the evening, made a plan about, go, I'd go to bed at 10, up at 7, go for a morning walk, started exercising each day, cooked my own meals. I called, I had a, a thing where I'd call a different friend each day, so I'd kind of catch up with even old friends I've not spoken to. And the first few weeks, you go, oh gosh, it's not helping. Then a few months on the line, it just completely changed everything, and I felt so much better. And I think I learned two things. One, how terrible the stigma is that I didn't feel, that as, even as a doctor, that I could actually go and talk to people and ask for help. But also that as a doctor, I had no clue how to look after myself, or I didn't understand how important it was to look after myself. Maybe that's a better way of looking at it. And then if you fast forward, like working in the hospitals, I mean, as you know, as I'm sure you know, appreciate and say as well, as, as with, with medicine and, and as well with an A&E, we see so much mental illness. And A&E, I reckon probably 20, 30% of the patients we see present either directly or indirectly for a, a reason of mental illness. Uh, and even if you think someone comes in with a heart attack, you know, that might be because they've had diabetes for many years, which might be because they've been overeating to deal with stress for many years. So sometimes you can really dig down and find that there is something more that's going on, even if they present with a physical problem. And so I guess, you know, when I came out of Love Island a few years ago and I was in that position, I was like, gosh, what am I going to do now? I went back to, to A&E, but I really thought, you know, what am I passionate about? And it just kind of led in this way. I started talking about mental health more, sort of learning. I first went to Downing Street in 2018 to speak to Theresa May about, like, you know, we should educate at school more on mental health because because of my own experience. I didn't understand this stuff. We should educate. Um, and then through the pandemic, you could just see the impact on people's mental health uh, was huge. And, and, you know, I was personally touched because my brother took his own life nearly two years ago now, which was obviously a huge shock. But in those situations where you've got grief and you're like, what do I do now? Like, this, you quite conceivably say, I don't want to be here anymore. It's that bad. You know, it's such a horrible situation, especially as a medic, you know, someone that was very much advocating around mental health at the time. You know, sometimes you've got to use grief as a, an energy, you know, like other forms like anger, happiness, sadness. They're all forms of energy. So I wanted to channel that. So that's why I started campaigning, basically, uh, around making changes to support young people. Absolutely. Uh, firstly, of course, sorry for your loss and, and, you know, sorry that you had to experience those things yourself. Mm. I suppose when you bring those things together and it's, it's, it's impossible for me to think about, but I do want to think about it. I think that it's so admirable that you're, you're using you. that to, to, to drive this on and you are going to affect and change so many mm. people's lives for the better. With your book, which is a, you know, a great read, and, and there's some very handsome striking pictures in there as well. <laughs> uh, but it's a Sunday Times bestseller and it's, it's called Live Well Every Day. And you, you mentioned a couple of things there which, which thread throughout the book mm. and I found fascinating, which is 
you know, unless you've had an accident, of course, you've been unfortunate to have an accident, there's myriad reasons why you're suddenly in A&E and there are yes. things that could have yeah. been done before we, we've reached, mm. you know, this level of, you know, us having to give you medical attention. Mm. Like, as you say, you used the example just then of obesity and somebody eating right because they're unhappy, because yeah. they're trying to fill some kind of void there yeah. and ways in yeah. which we can go around it. And in the book, you kind of break it down mm. into simple, easy to digest and really important kind of categories for, for yeah. people. Well, I mean, when I when I was kind of researching right about because of medics, so the, the, the science changes every you know almost daily. There's new things happening. We've got to learn as medics. What we really learn to do is analyze information, don't we? To critically analyze. And you know what I did when I wanted to put the book, book together is like, I want something that a layperson can read and they they take away important the, the important aspects of say sleep or whatever from that. And, and taking this complex science, which a lot of it can be, and, and bringing it down to, like, what do you need to know? But even that process, I mean, it made me realise I was learning so much stuff. I was like, I thought I knew reasonable about, about sleep because I'd been looking into it. Then the more I read, I was like, oh, my gosh, this, this stuff's fascinating. And, and I think, you know, for me, it was a, writing that book was amazing to add to my own knowledge. And I think that gave me confidence also that other people would find a benefit um, uh, to it. So I just tried to assimilate, yeah, from, like, sleep to finding passion and purpose to... Uh, you know, relationships, like how do you know that your relationship's healthy, that's friendships and otherwise, how can you spot unhealthy relationships? How do you, how do you, you know, if we do say, right, I want to start exercising, how do you create a, uh, a habit that kind of lasts, you know, and, and trying to fight away from, I guess, fad trends. That's one of the biggest things I really want mm -hmm. to combat is that it's just, you know, so much of the problem we see now with that like, body image amongst young people, it's a huge, you know, eating disorders, the fastest rising mental health illness. You know, so much of that is driven by body image, idealized lifestyles, idealized diets and stuff, which is which is just not true. You know, most of us, the premise is that life is not perfect all the time. Like, you know, I have takeaways. I Sometimes I go through times where I eat too much for a few weeks and I put on a bit of weight, whatever, but that's life. It's just about, it's about the average of what you do, isn't it, over a period of time, not just like, oh, gosh, I've made that mistake. Yeah. I shouldn't have had that burger or whatever, you know? I mean, moderation has been the kind of watchword. I'm going to be careful. I'm sat by a cardio, just talking about burgers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, no, no, no. I think Neil has a few burgers, yeah. yeah. But, but moderation is the, has it's, been the watchword I mean, as you rightly said, and we've said before, you know, it's okay to fail. It's okay, yeah. and you shouldn't feel like that's a failure. That's normal. You know, you can go on a diet and go, actually, you know, I fancy a burger today. That's fine. And I think you really nicely pick up one of the really big problems we have in society, but also the NHS in general, right? I remember working in A&E, and I worked in the most deprived estate in Europe. It's called Batlicar, and I was working as an A&E junior doctor mm. in Dewsbury, basically. Mm. And you're absolutely right. You pick out some really insightful points because you see these people coming with a myriad of illnesses mm. or myriad of problems. Sometimes it's unsolvable, you know, things like, yeah, like yeah. body pain, headache yeah. and things. It's a cry for help. And the problem you have as a doctor is, or an A&E, it's a busy department. You've got 15 minutes with that person. Mm. 15 minutes is not enough to pick apart that person's life, to give them the time and the quality they need. The same with the GP. You have 10 minutes of your consultation, but there's so much more to it. So we have this huge issue, as you've rightly pointed out, with knitting society. How do we fix those psychosocial society mm. issues? my job, my self-esteem, my education, my opportunities? Do I have, you know, green space outside my flat? You know, do I have friends to talk to? And how do we knit that together? And how do we help those communities or people that are in need? And it's so hard, as you say, because it takes time. It takes courage for people to, you know, believe in, you know, the stuff that you're saying, which is absolutely right. 
And it also takes confidence to realize it's okay to have, you know, a bad day and, you know, maybe I don't go to the gym that day, but yeah. I'm going to consistently try and yeah. improve my health or improve my mental yeah. health. Yeah. It's tough. Well, if you look at the costs, it's I mean, so last year, uh, mental illness cost the, uh, the economy £90 billion. Pounds. Wow, my goodness. That was the cost. Of 90 billion wow. uh, was the cost of the economy. So it's a huge, and, and I think that's where, you know, and a lot of my discussions with government, of course, come from like the kind of moral and ethical responsibility we have to look after young people, look after people, and like support people's mental health. It's a huge economic argument as well uh, around that. But but to that point uh, um, around patients as well, there's one case that really stuck, sticks with me, and I think it was a moment where I'd kind of like forgotten about how it affect their lives is this um, young chap he's about 20 28 29 and he came in with a really nasty tib fib fracture so a fracture of his lower leg really really nasty playing football basically and we were there focused on that you know we're giving the pain relief then we had to pull it and focused on getting in the right position and we pulled it and casted him it was like right speed orthopedics now to get down here and plan things and i was talking to him about the injury and how long it would take and he just started basically sobbing and i was like I was like, oh, you're in pain. Sorry, if we not, we get you more pain. And he said, no, I just, I, I love football, and if I can't play football, I don't know what I'm going to do because that for me is my life. And it was interesting because I was so, we all were, you know, we all, all the nurses, everyone was so focused on his leg, which is kind of understandable. His leg was in a bad state, but that was not what he was thinking about. No. So I suppose the thing is, and it's nothing wrong with yeah. it. It's like if you walk out of here yeah. in a few weeks, yeah, then yeah. that's our job done. Yeah, and yeah, we, yeah. And it's for him, he realised that might be the end of his football. Yeah. You know, and I, and it's it, it is very it's very interesting because we're so focused on the problem to fix, but for them, it's like what does that do to their lives? Uh, and what, what what happens when you know when they when they go when they go home? Um, so yeah, I think so much of when we treat physical problems, it has to. I think more support services. And there are services in, in cardiology. I understand that, that that kind of support that psychosocial thing to an to, to an extent. But I think it is certainly. I think it's more of an afterthought in general in most of the services. I think that's pretty fair to say. And certainly in A and E, we don't offer. Uh, you know, for someone of a traumatic, in, that's a really traumatic thing to go through, like having a really nasty fracture. That we don't offer like a. It's like support mm. after you don't, but but really, in, in many ways, you think about that. That's we should, shouldn't we? Now, how can we cope with loneliness? Mm. You know, starting with you know, what's the difference between feeling lonely and loneliness? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, I guess the the thing that people mix a lot of time is what's the difference between alone and being lonely. Yeah, you know, so being comfortable being alone is a very important life skill. You know, we are, humans are social creatures. We're supposed to be around people. But we're also supposed to be alone. You need time to reflect, to think, to have calm, to recharge. So, you know, learning to be able to do that is, is a real skill. And people often say, like, it's one of those things, almost like going to the gym, you build up that, you know, skill at doing. So if you go, oh, gosh, I don't like being alone, start with 10 minutes a day. Go for a walk on your own for 10 minutes and build it up to 20 minute walk to half an hour. Go, do you know what? I'm going to have a listen to a whole album and just sit on my own without my phone and just, I'm fine on my own. So you can kind of build that up. But then there is, of course, that kind of comparison. Then obviously you've got being alone and, and being comfortable doing that is very important. But that loneliness aspect is huge. And we know that uh, young people are actually the loneliest of all the generations. Everything that's elderly people is actually often not. Elderly people in general have built that skill of being able to be alone. For many different reasons, of course, there are people that are lonely, but they have built that skill of being comfortable being alone. And often elderly people have like networks of family and generations that they kind of interact with. And they also haven't grown up with social media, which we'll come up come across, we'll talk about in a moment. And being lonely, you define loneliness as a mismatch between the expected uh, and the, the, so, so the amount of social interaction you expect and that that is received, either in quality or quantity. Okay. So it could be that you're in a room full of people but you don't feel actually 
that you have a connection with them. You're not truly yourself. You don't feel that sense of true human connection with them. So you can feel lonely in a crowded room. That's where the yeah. saying kind of comes from. So you can be that guy or girl who's at yeah. all the parties, yeah. but you can but still be lonely. But you don't feel a sense that you are truly yourself mm. with them. You're your authentic self that you you actually feel connected to the people around you. Or, of course, you could have a lack of quality, a quantity. So maybe you're just not meeting people. Maybe COVID's isolated. You're not seeing your friends. Uh, and what's interesting is that now with this kind of social media age is that you have a time where we're hyper-connected online, but there's a huge disconnect in human connection. Children, you know, the number of interactions that children have and young people have now is vastly reduced compared to what it was in the past. I mean, look at, like, my brother, for example, Lear. He spent his whole time on Xbox, on headphones, talking to his mates, through Xbox, so you're missing out on the non-verbals, you're missing out on that kind of touch and things that are very important, hugging a mate, hand high-five, all these, that they really, literally releases endorphins, a huge oxytocin is a, is a hormone of feeling warmth, and, and we talk about it in uh, in childbirth, but in terms of day-to-day, -day, oxytocin is very important in that sense of like for, like fullness, you know, that warmth of hugging someone, it's released and it, it's a trigger in our brain that we feel good. So there's so much of that that we've lost with, with the social media age. You know, children spend on average between two and four hours a day on, online. That two or four hours a day, they're not spending, you know, playing in parks, climbing trees, building tree houses like I used to do, or messing outside with their mates. And I think that's something we really have to focus on. We need to, we need to change that tide, otherwise the loneliness epidemic is going to become much worse. How, how, do you, how are you planning on going about doing that? How do we mm. do that? You know, what, what's in... Education. Education yeah. is the most important thing. You know, I find, to me, it's... It's not really a better word for it, but it's crazy to me that we don't educate young people around social media. If you think about it, even doctors around it. I mean, when I came online in 2018, there was probably like 10 doctors on social media. Now, how many doctors are there? There's literally 10, there's like hundreds, if not thousands. They're all doing podcasts as well. <laughs> They're all doing podcasts. Unbelievable. But, it, but it, which I think is an incredibly good thing, mm -hmm. um, because I think it, it is I'm digressing here a little bit, but I think you know doctors have always been very afraid to kind of go online and talk about health and medicine. But it's such a shame because there's, you know, we don't own health. You know, we learn all this, the, we learn all this information. We should share it, teach people, right? So it's been amazing throughout the pandemic. And if everyone evidence as to why it's good to have doctors online, thank God, because the amount of false information that was out there during the COVID pandemic, we didn't have doctors speaking truths and cutting through the rubbish. Mm. What, where, would we, where would we have been? Um, yeah. But yes, the point is, I think most careers will be online in the future. In some capacity, almost in almost every aspect, it'll be online. You know, even from like doctors using apps to, you know, uh, people providing like guitar lessons over Zoom. You know, that is that is the future. And so we should teach children how to utilize that, but also how to protect themselves. You know, you'd never get in a plane and fly a plane without lessons, would you? But the, an iPhone that you have in your hand is more powerful than the rocket that went to the moon. You know, but you're giving it to 13 year old kids and saying, voila, have the whole world to, at your fingertips. So it's teaching them how to use it as a tool for your benefit, but also how to create boundaries. Things about knowing, you know, how you should, you should kind of manage who you follow, thinking about what accounts you're seeing, how to make boundaries around um, content that you see online. And what we know is things that you see and read sink very deep into our minds. So if you're seeing constant news updates of the horrible things that are happening around the world all the time, yes, it's important to be up to date, but the damaging effects that can do to a young person are really, really significant. And especially when people are looking at before bed, there's a lot of research being done now to show that if you're looking at kind of quite uh, traumatizing things before bed, it can really sink quite deeply into your subconscious and really affect your mood and actually can cause depression and things because it sinks so much into your subconscious. When we go to bed, what we see before bed really does impact 
you know, what, 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 what we dream about and how our brain processes. So we do need to do it. Education is the big one. I think that's just such... Education is, I, I'm a big believer, that's how you change the world in a lot of ways. And if you think about it, when we were growing up, you know, I remember people talking about, you know, recycling. And I remember uh, adults being like, oh, kids won't recycle. Like, there's no point trying to teach them. They're never going to do it. It's actually when we were going home telling parents, like, you need to recycle, you know. If you educate kids, you're like this, what, you know, you're, you're a blank sheet of paper. You know, get them talking about things about mental health. Get them talking about social media. Get them talking about sexual health and things. And you'll find when they grow up, it's, it's not an issue. It's not an issue because you've grown up with it. You don't know any different. It's just normal to talk about that, right? I've, I've said in the past, you know, I've got a daughter who's, who's three years old. And I've said that, you know, if you look at those kind of old parented adages throughout time about don't touch that, it's hot, and look both ways and check again when you cross the road, yeah. don't talk to strangers, all of those, I think right up there has to be social yeah, media yeah. and it has to be part of that exact same conversation, I think. It's one of the biggest threats to, to, to young people's well-being, I think, that, that's emerging. Is, is And you've got to see it both sides because, you know, I, I get asked the question, is social media good or bad? so much and actually the truth is that's not I don't think that's the right it's not the right question because social media is good and it's bad mm. it's like how do we prevent social media from yeah there's no um, point in going let's ban yeah, it I don't want like, it in what our are you going to do stick it yeah. delete TikTok good luck I mean you know yeah. it's, it's not going anywhere <laughs> yeah. so it's not like we can put the it's not the wrong conversation it's how right, this is what it, it is what it is how do we make it as safe as as possible and you know at the end of the day like life isn't cotton wool life itself is hard it's difficult and every, you know social media is kind of an extension of that isn't it so it's creating those safe parameters and 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 i think a big bit of it for young people as well which ties into and i started a campaign with number 10 um called and down reward which is an anti-bullying campaign called don't face it alone because we did a massive survey and 50 percent of young people are bullied at any one time and the difference was and I, I was bullied at school for a couple of years the difference is now you know when i was at school i was bullied and i go home and uh, you know, I didn't have a phone, not online. I was in a safe space. Now, mm. the bullying that happens online is worse than that in person. You know, not girls. I was speaking to young girls. What they're doing is they do exclude. Big part of bullying now is exclusion. So what you go is if you post a picture, they got right, no one like the picture, no one like a picture. Don't say anything. Don't comment. Or they'll go right. What we'll do is we'll, we'll meet on Friday. We'll have a picture. Post the picture, knowing that person was saying, "Oh, they didn't invite me." So it's and it's very hard to manage. It teachers, mean. teachers, then because it's not in the classroom, it's very hard for them to manage it. That. So we have to. So big part of education is also trying to deal with that because bullying is. You look at eating disorders. You look at you look at um, depression and anxiety and also I mean uh, dropout rates at school attendance so much of that is driven by bullying and uh, people feeling lonely you know isolated and lonely it feeds back into that um, if you feel that you're affected by loneliness you are feeling lonely or if you're affected by any of the things that we've just spoken about here with Alex on the doctor next door then at the end of the podcast I will give you a whole pile of helpful places that, that you can go and, and, and seek advice and help thank you Alex for that Now, Alex, this is usually the part of the podcast where Dr. Neil tests my medical knowledge in the form of a weekly quiz. It's fair to say I've been doing pretty well. Yeah, you've done very well. I, f I fight so hard for the half points, Alex. I can't <laughs> even begin to tell you. <laughs> I'll leave them as well. If you're <laughs> um, but this week, to reduce the risk of disappointing two doctors with my efforts, uh, let alone the usual one, I'm going to turn the metaphorical operating tables and give you both a quiz. Very it's good. doctor like versus doctor, Alex versus Neil. It's a head to head. Oh, God. Now, 
I hate quizzes anyway. I'm I was so going to say, are you a pop you know, quizzer? Do you, I, do you know why? I've always, whenever I'm asked on anything, like I love celebrity master, well, mastermind, all that, but whenever I'm asked because I'll let this know because I don't want anyone to quiz me on medicine because there's nothing worse than this. Yes, it's the most, absolutely. I'd rather ask yeah. anything else because the thing about medicine is that everyone thinks, oh, yeah, you're a doctor, you should know all this stuff. Like, even if you're an ultra specialist in an area, even within that area, there's so much stuff we don't know, there's so much yeah. stuff that you won't know, yeah. let alone, it's like, Medicine is the combination of every language yeah. in the world, really, and more. Plus, if you knew all of that <laughs> I'm just stuff, making excuses already. <laughs> you haven't got the time to go on Celebrity Mastermind. I actually also turned down the opportunity to go on Celebrity Mastermind because it just looks frightening. Uh, no, it's not for me. Honestly, I, I really... Yeah, and I also don't... I, outside, Even outside of medicine, I don't... like. I know cars. I know, hopefully, a little bit... Uh, about health and medicine, tiny bit about politics, but that's about it. I don't know anything else. If you ask me about EastEnders or the latest, yeah. I don't know. My big fear, I did I did Pointless Celebrities uh, with a comedian I do my radio show with, and the biggest fear was, I don't mind getting asked, a, say, a medical question yeah. or something like that, because I'm not supposed to yeah, know. Sure, the sure, biggest fear sure. is they asked me about an album yeah. from yeah. Yeah. Uh, some exactly what it is. Or a band. That's exactly what it is for us oh, as well. Yeah. Yes, oh. exactly. Um, anyway, these are all medical-based, but Go there's on, a little on. twist in here, come okay? On. So it's not all bad. Oh, I've got your papers and pens by oh, the yeah. way, chaps. Um, Thank you, sir. So we're going to take a little trip down memory lane of the doctor next door, but it's not weighted towards Dr. Neil Srinivasan, Alex, I assure you. Your first question is... In episode one of Doctor Next Door, which I think we recorded 56 years ago yeah, now, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we dark. spoke about hangover cures and the effects of alcohol... But can you tell me, on average, how many pints of beer are sold each year in the UK? Is it A, 700 million, B, 2.4 billion, or C, 8 billion? Question two. In episode seven of The Doctor Next Door, we discussed what it would be like to be a doctor in medieval times. But can you tell me how many registered physicians were there in England in the year 1300? Was it A, 100, B, 10,000, or C, 100,000? So that's A, 100, B, 10,000, or C, 100,000. How many registered physicians in England in the year 1300? What a classic episode. That's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate that. And finally... After being inspired by the Friends episode where Chandler urinates on Monica in an attempt to ease the pain of a jellyfish sting... I remember that episode. I love friends. Yeah. We went on to dispel this is a myth in episode 10, didn't we, Dr. Neil? Yeah. But can you tell me how many episodes of friends were made? This is a closest to the pin question. Ooh, okay. Have a guess. So you're a big fan of friends. Yeah, Alex. I think there's. How many series I think there must have been about. I'll wait for him to answer. Write <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay. yours down, Neil. Don't you dare. <laughs> Okay, I have Alex's answers, Neil's answers. I hope you've jotted yours down out there. And I will reveal all after this. It's another podcast from the producer of The Doctor Next Door that I think you're going to love. Ever yearned for the perfect pub to reveal itself from some unexpected alley? Well, The Moon Underwater is the podcast for you. Join me, John Robbins, and the lovely Robin Allender Hi. as we help a special guest create their dream pub. From the drinks behind the bar to the music on the jukebox, The Moon Underwater is whatever you want it to be. So, if you would like to join us in Desire's beating heart, search The Moon Underwater. Or maybe The Moon Underwater will search for you. 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome back to The Doctor Next Door. Before the break, I asked Dr. Neil and today's very special guest, Alex George, three questions to test their knowledge in some doctor versus doctor hot action. And it's time to find out the answers. Gentlemen, are you ready? Yep, we are. Let's give it a go. I'm going to fight first... for every half point that we get. <laughs> Our revenge. I'm dragging everything down here. Here we go, here we go. And the first question was... In episode one of Doctor Next Door, we spoke about hangover cures and the effects of alcohol. But can you tell me, on average, how many pints of beer were sold each year in the UK? So there were 700 million, 2.4 billion, or 8 billion? It can't be 8 billion. I mean, that, that can't be right. I'll start with you. Alex, I said I said 700 million. I think it can't be a billion, can it? You said 700 million. I, I've gone with B, 2.4 billion. Surely not that many beers. That's bad. We're a bad country. We're a bad country. Case. I can reveal yeah. that getting zero points for the first question, both of you. Oh, wow. It wow. is C, 8 billion. No. Unbelievable, oh, my right? God. That in is, 2019, a, 8 billion pints of beer were sold in the UK. The average UK <laughs> pub goer drinks around 7,786 pints of lager. That's 4,424 litres of beer in their lifetime. Goodness. Uh, just so you know, uh, 1.4 billion. billion fewer pints were sold uh, due to lockdown restrictions in the year 2021. Okay, Hang so on. shouldn't it have been like no pints sold? Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yes. Hang on, how the pints sold? Crafting. Yeah, well, you could get them online, right? Yeah, says, says the expert. No, yeah. no, I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> How did you get on here? Exactly. Uh, the house parties for your bubble were exactly. big, weren't they? Yeah. Okay, question two. Uh, in episode seven, we discussed what it would have been like to be a doctor in medieval times. But can you tell me how many registered physicians were there in England in the year 1300? It was A100, B10,000, or C100,000. 
Alex? Well, I said 100. I don't think there would have been... I don't know if it was really even a thing back then. It was more like barbershop surgeons, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. What did you say? So I've done the same. Yeah. Same as Alex. 100. You've both gone for A, and I can reveal you both... Get a point. Yeah, Congratulations, yeah. 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 Physicians yeah. trained yeah. at universities for seven years. And due to time and financial cost involved, there were fewer than 100 physicians in England in 1300, and only the very rich could afford the fees. Anybody cheaper, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, after being inspired by the Friends episode where Chandler urinates on Monica in an attempt to ease the pain of a jellyfish sting, which we would go on to dispel in episode 10, I wanted to know, and closest to the pin wins, how many episodes of Friends were there in total? Alex, you said you're a fan? I think, I, I don't know if I've gone way overboard, I think 160. There's quite, there's like 10, 11 series, wasn't there? No, there's more than that. I think 160. That's a 160. Yeah. Neil? I reckon there's loads. I, I, I agree with you. So yeah. I've gone about 280. <sighs> Oh, maybe I didn't Higher go high enough, yeah, gosh. Getting a point closest to the I'm pin. Winning. Hang on, I've got to figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Neil. Uh, the oh. answer is 236 oh, wow. episodes oh, wow. of wow. Friends. Wow. So How you were closest to the that's, pin. Yeah, wow. that's a lot. And that and, means... And it's kind of scary because I've probably seen all of them about three times. It's <laughs> 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 like, really bad. It's like, oh, God, that's really, really bad. <laughs> that's a lot of hours. Oh, my yeah. God. Um, so that means with two points to one, Neil, you are victorious in this week's the Consultant quiz. takes the victory. Well that's done. fair enough. That's fair We're enough. We're both winners. <laughs> We're both winners here. We're both won. I'm just more shocked at how many beers have been drunk. Yeah, that's, that's incredible, crazy. right? That's crazy. Yeah. I think cool. Dave is increasing the average. <laughs> yeah. Dave stopped drinking, it'd be all right. Yeah. Exactly. Dan, half, half, be, like, be at least half that. Yeah, exactly. yeah. you had the whole billion, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I've not come here to be attacked. Thank you very much for taking my own podcast. <laughs> Doctor Next Door isn't just about Neil and myself. We love it when you get in touch and share your questions and stories. You can email us any time you like. It is Pod. And this week, we've had an email from Emma who says, I've always been a really outgoing person who likes to be sociable with friends, family and work colleagues. Since the pandemic and going into various lockdowns, I felt myself become more and more introverted. I get anxious at the idea of going to busy public places or even meeting up in small groups with close friends. I really don't want to feel like this forever. Do you have any advice on how I can start to overcome this newly developed social anxiety? Well, Emma, thank you ever so much for getting in touch. We appreciate that. And uh, Alex, I know we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier mm. on, but, but what would you have to say to Emma? Well, first of all, it's, it's what you experience is actually completely normal. If you think about it, so we make a comparison to a marathon runner. If you're a marathon runner and you're running consistently all the time, you can be quite good at it. You can be able to do it quite comfortably. It's not going to be difficult. It's something your body, you've trained at that level to do it. If that marathon runner stops doing that for a year and a half, is he going to be able to go and run a marathon easily? It's going to be very difficult. He probably won't be able to do it all. And what I'm trying to say, the comparison I'm drawing there is it, it is a skill. It's a muscle. It is a, it's something you've got to work at. And, you know, when you've, we've not, and I, I think, I definitely had a huge amount of social anxieties, particularly when the kind of pubs open. They're like, oh, I haven't go back to the pub. I, I really didn't want to go for a while. And, and it's because if you're not having those interactions, you're actually just not exercising that muscle. So basically, the first thing I want to say is don't be so hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. That's what you're, what you're experiencing is actually really normal, given the fact that you have been isolated in that way. And also, 
build up. I mean, you wouldn't go and try, use the analogy again, you wouldn't go and just try and run a marathon if you haven't been running for two years, would you? You'd kind of build up slowly. So in the same way, it would be like maybe pick a couple of friends, go sit in the park, go for a walk with a, go and have a coffee with someone. Don't just try and dive into a busy club. I mean, I still now wouldn't go to a club. I mean, I think for me, being that close to everyone, that's just too much. Mm. You know, and I'm also, I, you know, if I had my vaccines, I'm kind of done everything I can. I'm quite relaxed, I think, with COVID now. It's kind of, it, we've done what we can do, but I still wouldn't go into that environment. It's more because I just don't feel comfortable. Yeah. So I think it's just build yourself up, start with things slowly. You will get there. It's in the same way, you go, oh, gosh, I'm never going to be able to run a marathon again. Gosh, it's so far. I can't run 23 miles. You will get there, but you'll do it incrementally. Build mm. up slowly over time. Don't push yourself too far. And before you know it, you look back and go, gosh, I'm, I'm back to how I was. I, I don't have that anxiety anymore. Yeah. And whilst as well, Emma, you know, if, if, I don't know if Alex and, and Neil agree, but whilst it, it wouldn't be peer pressure because it, these, you know, we're talking about a group of friends are getting together. But if you feel anxious about that, then it's, it's important to be open with them. You know, yeah. they are boundaries. your friends. They boundaries. are your nearest friends. As you say, like, you know, and as you say, perhaps maybe two or three of you can go for a walk in the park yeah. first and you can build to Because there are obviously some people who have come out of lockdown just raring to yeah. go. But I was very much, you know, I'm kind of with Emma, right? Yeah. You know, it took me a long while, even though I was able to mm. go out. Sarah J, my wife and I, we were just still being kind of watching mm. and countless episodes of Friends yeah, <laughs> territory yeah. For, for a while, you know? Well, if you look at um, schools, I mean, I, I visit a lot of schools and, around the country and the common theme that I hear is that teachers are saying that children are... They're noticing that children in the classroom are actually way less skilled in communication and social interaction. They're saying like the year tens are more like year nines almost or even younger because they just haven't had that training in a way, you know, knowing how to behave with other people, how to interact. I mean, so much of education in school, if you think about it, yeah, fine, it's what you learn, but it's kind of the other skills. They're actually almost interaction. It's right? the, yeah, it's, the it's, social it's, skills of life. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's what a lot of people have missed out on for a long time. So, yeah, I think take it easy. Don't be, I mean, Neil, I don't know what you'd say, but I think it's just don't be too hard on yourself, actually, because sometimes we're like, oh, I expect just to be able to go and just be completely the same and just, it's, we've been through a lot, haven't we? Yeah, and I completely agree. I think it's what we've said all along the podcast. You know, it's okay to feel like it's difficult. It's okay to take your time over it. The key, I think, as you've mentioned, is having some insight about that, being honest with your friends and open about that, and it will come. And, and it will just come through time. And offer, you, offer an stuff. alternative, I guess. So like, it's like, you know, if, if, if so, like, I was like, Neil, we're, like, we're going to go, we're all going out to the pub tonight in a busy pub and clap and whatever. You go, well, actually, do you know, I, I don't feel I want to do that. However, why don't we on Saturday, why don't we, you, you and I go and meet for a cup of coffee, go for whatever, whatever. Right? So exactly. you're giving something, you're not like powering that person off in that sense, like, no, mm -hmm. I don't want to see you. You're giving, you're explaining why. Yeah. Like, if they're offended by that, then they, they need to question your yeah. friends. Uh, you know, they should, if you're a friend, you should be like, yeah, fair enough. If you feel that way, yeah, let's go and go for a walk the next day. And, and you'll be able to say, you know, in time I will get to that point, mm -hmm. but at the moment, I'm not ready. I think that's fine. That's fine. Um, good advice, as always. Uh, thank you, Alex. Thank you, Neil. And, and Emma, you know, uh, the takeaway here is you are definitely 100% not alone in feeling that way. I felt exactly the same. So many people I know felt exactly the same. Alex has just said it. And uh, another little thing, Emma, is, and I thought it was a really nice touch, uh, Glastonbury Festival uh, put something out on their website basically saying, look, this is for many of you the first time you're going to be getting together or going to anything like this in the last few years. Here are some tips on how to feel safe in doing that and, and how to cope with it all. And so, awesome. you know, if the organisers of Glastonbury Festival, are you going to yeah, go? I'm going, so I'll have to read those well, tips. If, you know, if they're doing that, Emma, then yeah. you know, I think that's all you need to know. And, you know, take it nice and easy and, you know, you'll be, you'll be back into it whenever you're ready.
And that's it for this episode of Dr. Next Door. As always, thank you to my regular co-host, our next door neighbour, Dr. Neil Shrinivasan, and a huge thank you to Alex George. Alex, it's been such a pleasure yeah, thank meeting you. Both. you. It's been lovely Alex. to meet you both, really. It's been, uh, it's been really nice. And I think this, is, this podcast is fantastic. I'm sure the listeners are really enjoying it. I think it's just, it is great because people, you can ask a question, you know, to someone who really has that knowledge and it's the common questions that people want to know. And I think that's the whole point. Like, we, no one owns health. You know, as doctors, we have the skill set to learn, to understand, accumulate, evaluate information and, and give that information to the public you know with our patients in the hospital it's the same thing you know you explain why what illness you have you know what you need to do to look after yourself and really this kind of podcast is great because you're you're teaching people in that kind of preemptive state that kind of like what to do prevention rather than cure and i think it's brilliant so well you thank both. you alex and, and to return your your kind words you know uh, neil and i were, were discussing this you know through through tragedy through your own experience in life you have brought those all together and you are a real force and what you're doing is so important, looking Thank after you. the mental health Thank of young you. people. And having now met you, you know, I'd read the book and, and so on and so forth. Having met you, I can't think of a better person to be in that position. I am so thrilled as, as a parent and as someone who cares about those things that you are the guy taking oh, us forward in that, that, in that way. Thank so you very much. Really continued success, guys. man. And as thank I say, you. it's just been a great pleasure meeting you. You can you can follow Alex on, on, on all his socials uh, and the fantastic book, um, Live Well Every Day, is online and in shops right now. Uh, I don't mean to be rude, um, but, you know, both of you in here at the kitchen <laughs> table. Get out. Get out of my house. <laughs> you got it. You got Get it. Get out of the door. <laughs> I'll slam the door all the way out. <laughs> Boom. There it is. <laughs> If you've been affected by any of the issues covered in this episode of Doctor Next Door or would like to find your nearest mental health support services, you can visit the NHS website and search for Mental Health Services for details of the wide range of support they offer. Before Alex left the record of the podcast today, he also asked me to pass on Hub of Hope, an incredible website you can search out. You enter your postcode and it also tells you of a wide range of support in your area. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.